You know, all year long, I take lots of ribbing from my family. Uh, in fact, when uh, we, we kind of pass it along to each other, and Jonathan has probably figured out that we like to chirp each other and, and uh, make fun of each other and, and kid each other, and, and I am not left out. Uh, in fact, often am the uh, butt end of the jokes. And at Christmas, I take a lot of ribbing for certain things as well. And one I've shared with you before is my enjoyment of Hallmark Christmas movies, uh, which I think secretly my family do enjoy. Uh, they just won't admit it. But uh, one of the things that, that uh, especially Lauren, my daughter, who was playing the piano, oh, there she is, uh, was making fun of, uh, or has made fun of, is the Hallmark movies are so predictable. Like if you've seen one, you've seen them all, you know how they're going to end as soon as you start to watch it. And they always have about one of three different plots. And one of those plots, and I, I still enjoy it, despite what Lauren may say, one of the plots often is a single parent, whether through death or divorce, uh, they have a, a child and they are ready to meet somebody. Uh, and so the plot of the story is, is that other person going to come in to this relationship and accept the child? Uh, and often the parent uh, who is the parent of the child is very protective or secretive, uh, and often it causes a conflict. And then, of course, as in any good Hallmark uh, Christmas movie, uh, the conflict is resolved uh, by the end. I also like to watch YouTube videos and sappy ones. And some of the YouTube videos I quite enjoy are when a child of a single parent who has then gotten married, a few years later, the parent surprises the step, well, not yet stepfather or stepmother, but the parent's spouse with the legal documents all gift wrapped in a box, asking this man or woman uh, if they would legally adopt the child. Sometimes I may even get a tear come to my eye when I watch these sappy uh, YouTube videos. A country song I quite enjoy, and I don't like country music, but Brad Paisley has a song, one of his earlier songs. Uh, he wrote it along with one of his uh, best friends, who's his co-writer, and they wrote it from the perspective of his friend's son, who was the son of a single mom, uh, who went through relationship after relationship after relationship that always seemed to end once the son was introduced into the equation. And as the song goes, as the story of the song goes, uh, a man comes into the picture uh, and doesn't run the other way. In fact, he quite accepts this woman's son uh, and actually quite a strong bond and friendship and love grow between these two. Uh, and eventually he becomes this son's stepdad. Uh, and near the end of the song, uh, the story of the song has you in a hospital uh, and the, the son is now married and his wife has given birth and he's standing there looking at his newborn child and standing beside him is his stepdad. Uh, and he uh, says in the song with, with this earnest prayer that I just pray that I can be half the dad my stepdad didn't need to be. And that's the title of the song, He Didn't Need to Be. And so when I think of these Hallmark stories and the YouTube videos and Brad Paisley's song, at this time of year, I can't help but think of probably one of the most 
forgotten characters of the Christmas narrative, and that's Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. And just like the stepdad in Brad Paisley's song, Joseph had a choice. He could run the other way, which as we're going to see this morning, he almost did. Or he could willingly and and obediently take on perhaps one of the greatest tasks ever given to a human, that being the stepfather of Jesus. And so this morning we're going to continue in our Misfit series. And for those of you, we have had a number of people comment that you've really enjoyed the Misfit series. And so we've decided we're going to carry it on into January, uh, maybe even into February. In fact, we may just keep doing the Misfit series until we run out of every character uh, in the scriptures, but, but, but probably not. But we're going to keep going. But in December, we've been doing a Christmas edition of the Misfit series because we have discovered, as you probably have, that most of the characters in the Christmas narrative, from a human standpoint, are just ordinary, seemingly nobodies that God uses in a powerful way to move his story forward, to to further his kingdom. Uh, And we've seen that we can learn some great lessons by looking at their story. Uh, And and we can learn some very impactful lessons from seeing these characters' involvement in God's story. And Joseph is definitely, definitely no exception. Uh, Joseph in our text, as you're going to see, is a model man of faith. And one of his key characteristics, one of the marks of Joseph is obedience. And I realize as soon as I say the word obedience, that obedience is a word that's kind of tarnished. It's a watered-down word in the world that we live in, a world where the playing rules are more likely to be do your own thing, have it your way, me first. Because it's true, right? Like We live in a world where me first takes precedence over obedience, especially costly obedience. But as we're going to see in the story of Joseph— Joseph gives us a picture, a very powerful picture of what obedience at any cost looks like. And what I want us to see this morning is not only what's surprising about Joseph's obedience, but what's so inspiring about his obedience. And, and, and look to see if there's any lessons that we can learn for ourselves by looking at Joseph's uh, obedience. So we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 1. Verses 18 through 25, very well-known text for this time of year. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, and we'll just slowly make our way through uh, this passage. As I did a couple of weeks ago with Mary, let's, let's just begin by asking the question, what can we know about Joseph? Because again, Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about Joseph, but we can pick clues and and details from different places in scripture. And so what we know about Joseph is his dad's name is Jacob. Joseph, his family home is in Bethlehem, but Joseph himself lived in Nazareth, which was about 80, 90 miles away from Bethlehem, hence the long journey to Bethlehem with Mary uh, to take the census. Joseph was a carpenter. 
He was poor. Uh, He was a very religious man. He was a devout observer of the law. Uh, He had a deep, deep trust in God. As far as age, we can't really be sure how old Joseph was, because it's uh, kind of a 50-50 split amongst scholars. Some want to think that Joseph was as young as Mary was, and if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Mary was probably 15, 16 years old, maybe even younger. And so it's nice to think that Joseph perhaps was just 16, 17, 18, his whole life ahead of him, planning to to, uh, get married to the love of his life, Mary. Uh, Others think that Joseph probably was a lot older than Mary, uh, and they base that on the fact that as you follow the life of Jesus in the Gospels, uh, eventually Joseph is no longer on the scene. Uh, And so some think that Joseph was older and and probably died before Jesus uh, was crucified on the cross. And so we don't really know if he was young or whether he was old. But a very important detail, and as we start to read our text about Joseph, is this, that this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. And so we come to that word pledged again. And if you remember two weeks ago, uh, I, I just wanted to keep moving on. And I said, well, pledged, although it is, it was a very specific custom, a Jewish custom of that time, uh, just think of it as our engagement time. And, and we moved on. I want to retract that I said that because I think there are some important differences and it makes a real difference when we understand Joseph's story. Being pledged, yeah, was kind of like being engaged, but there was some significant differences. First of all, Mary and Joseph being pledged to be married to each other would have been considered husband and wife. But the difference was they didn't live, as I said two weeks ago, they didn't live together. They hadn't consummated uh, their marriage. So Mary would have lived with her parents, Joseph we assume, lived uh, with his parents. And there was a six to 12-month period that was part of the being pledged to one another. So they had made an agreement that they were going to get married. There was a six to 12-month period where faithfulness and, and commitment to each other was tested. And then at the end of that period, there was a feast, a marriage feast. And then Mary and Joseph would live together and consummate their marriage. And so, and so that's a fairly significant difference than the way that, that we look uh, at our uh, engagement. So Joseph and Mary were pledged to be married to each other. And this six to 12 month period was a real important and serious time. Again, it was a testing for faithfulness and commitment And this is how serious it was. If during that six to 12 month period, the woman was proven to be pregnant and obviously not by the man she was pledged to be married to, according to the law, according to Deuteronomy, that was grounds for stoning her to death. And so it was a very serious deal being pledged one to another to be married. So let's continue the story because very quickly Matthew tells us that Joseph's world is going to turn upside down. So Joseph and Mary are pledged to each other to be married, but before they came together, 
She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I've probably read this 100, 500 times. So have you. You've probably heard it every Christmas. I wonder how often we stop and wonder, what was Joseph's reaction? We often look at it from Mary's perspective. What was her reaction finding out she was pregnant? But what was Joseph's reaction to the fact that Mary was pregnant? We don't even know how Joseph found out. I don't, maybe uh, Mary's father Eli told him, or, or maybe Mary told Joseph himself. But he is pledged to be married. This is his dream. This is his plan. And now he discovers that Mary is pregnant what would his reaction be? What would your reaction be? Anger? Heartbreak? Disappointment? Shame? Revenge? Who was this man? On and on and on. What would Joseph's reaction be? We don't know if Joseph was a young man or whether he was an old man, but one thing we do know, his world just came crashing in. And heartbreak was the new song in Joseph's heart. What would Joseph do? As we continue on in the story, it says that Joseph was a righteous man. It simply means that Joseph wanted to do what was right in the eyes of God. Joseph had every right to have Mary stoned. Problem was, the Romans didn't really go for stoning. Feed her, feed her to the lions, I guess that might have been okay. But stoning wasn't, wasn't something that they were for. But, but Joseph also had the right, in fact, as a devout Jew, he had the obligation to divorce. Now, there's a difference. When you're pledged to one another, to break that pledge, you divorce. And unfaithfulness, because Mary is pregnant, obvious unfaithfulness, right, was grounds for Joseph to divorce Mary. And, and divorcing Mary could happen in two different ways. One, he could bring the issue to the city gates to a judge and everyone would hear what horrible things Mary has done. Shaming her and bringing her public disgrace and the divorce could happen that way. Or there was another option. Joseph quietly could bring divorce papers in the presence of two, two witnesses and divorce Mary quietly, protecting as much as he could any shame and humiliation that she might receive. Joseph was a good guy. You can't miss in this story that Joseph loved Mary. Despite all the shame and the hurt and heartbreak, I still truly believed he loved Mary. He didn't want to have her stoned. He didn't want to publicly disgrace her, but he knew what he had to do. And what he had to do was divorce her quietly. Realizing that even that was going to kick him in the rear end. 
Because what were people going to say? They still were going to talk. There was still going to be shame. There was still going to be humiliation, but that was Joseph's decision. He was going to divorce Mary quietly. And that's what he was going to do, but not yet. If you continue on in our text, in verse 20, right at the beginning of verse 20, it says, but after Joseph had considered this, that word considered means pondered. It's the exact same word that Luke uses when he explains Mary's reaction to Gabriel telling her that she's pregnant. She pondered it. He pondered it. He pondered his decision to divorce Mary. He considered it. He molded over. He dialogued with himself about it. And we know what that's like when we have something that's bothering us. We know what we're supposed to do, but we know what we don't want to do. And there's a war going on and it keeps us up at night and we roll and and toss in bed. And during the day, that's all we can think about. And that was Joseph's situation. I'm sure he hit his thumb with a hammer many times as he was contemplating when he knew what to do, but what he really didn't want to do because he loved Mary. And he couldn't sleep at night. But then he nodded off. And in his dream, an angel of God appears to him. In beginning of verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What fantastic news. Mary hadn't been unfaithful. The Holy Spirit was the source of the pregnancy. And the baby's name was to be Jesus because he would save people from their sins. Could it be that this Jesus was going to be the promised Messiah? What fantastic news for Joseph. But at the same time, you look at it from a different angle, what bad news? Who is ever going to believe it? Like, could you imagine Joseph going to his best friends and saying, hey, I got to tell you what's happened. Mary is pregnant, but I'm not the father. The, The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the source by which Mary is pregnant. And this baby, we're going to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. His friends would have probably thought he was crazy. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds absurd. And so once again, Joseph finds himself at a crossroad of decision, of choice. He can choose obedience or he can choose self. Obedience or self-preservation. Obedience means that he does exactly what the angel has commanded him to do, regardless of the cost that he takes Mary to be his wife and he gives this baby the name Jesus. Or his other choice is self-preservation. 
that before he does anything, he makes sure that he understands all the details, all the implications, that he has considered and written down and calculated all of the costs. Because often I read this account and I miss how costly the obedience of Joseph really was for him. Because being obedient to the angel and taking Mary as his wife, naming the baby Jesus and what that implies, and we'll talk about that in a minute, there was all sorts of implications. They still were going to be ridiculed and shamed. They were going to be gossiped about. They were going to be treated as a second-class couple. I'm sure they didn't get invited to all the social events. Joseph probably lost carpentry work because of the reputation and what people thought about him. And think of the mission of his son. Like being the father of Jesus. That was going to be a handful. And where his mission was headed. And the heartbreak whether Joseph was still alive at the time that his son was hung on a cross or not, the heartbreak of knowing and seeing the rejection and the ridicule that his son would face in the years to come. What a cost involved in Joseph's obedience. And so what does Joseph decide to do? This is really the finest moment in Joseph's life. Because all he needed was God's assurance. And he was ready to obey. 24 and 25, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, or sorry, Joseph broke all Jewish custom by taking Mary to be his wife. He refused to have sexual relationship with his wife until the baby was born, preserving the virgin birth. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how, how critical the virgin birth is to our salvation. And then Joseph named the baby Jesus. And you may say, well, what, what's so significant about that? what's in the giving of a name? And what's in a name? Well, there's everything back then in the giving of a name and in the meaning of a name. By giving the baby the name Jesus, Joseph exercised the prerogative that fathers had. And by giving the name to this baby, Jesus, Joseph invited Jesus legally and officially into his own family. And our text tells us that the name Jesus wasn't just because it sounded nice. It, it, it wasn't, the, you know, the top 10 names that people were calling their babies during that time. His name was to be Jesus because he would save people from their sins. This baby would be the Savior. Now, I'm not sure how much Joseph really understood about all of that. Uh, the reading that Linda did for us uh, when Simeon said what he said, once again, Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about their baby. But he gave the baby the name Jesus because he was going to be a savior and we need a savior. 
We have a sin problem that desperately calls for a Savior. And the text also says that this baby Jesus will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Because we need a Savior and we can't do it ourselves. God had to enter into our situation and he did so by sending his son Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so Joseph is a, a, a model of a man of faith. Obedience is a marker. And as I said, there are some important implications and lessons that I believe that we can take from Joseph's example. And the first thing is this. Obedience to God almost always involves a cost. It has to. Because the God, call of God upon our life is to live countercultural to the way of the world. Obedience to God almost always involves sacrifice. God may be calling you, may be calling me to give up plans, possessions, place, pride. He may want to take us down a road that we would never have dreamed of for ourselves. And if you're breathing, the question you should be asking is why? Why would anyone make that kind of costly commitment to Jesus? The Apostle Paul pondered that question often. He must have been when he, when he pointed in Philippians chapter 2 to the obedience of Jesus that caused Jesus to leave the splendor of heaven to come to this earth and what? To be obedient to his Father's will and to die on a cross. Paul talks about it in Romans as well, the first 11 chapters, talking about the love that God demonstrates by sending his son for sinners whose sin penalty brings death. And there's nothing we can do about it. But God sends Jesus so that we can be saved, that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can be in a right relationship with God. And as you move through Paul's argument in Romans, you come to Romans 12, and Paul says, therefore, in view of all of that, the obedience of Jesus, God's demonstrated love, the salvation that you now enjoy, a right relationship with God, sins forgiven, eternal life. Because of all of that, the only logical, sensible response is to offer your entire selves to him. So obedience comes with a cost. It comes as a sacrifice. It involves sacrifice. But when we're talking about God, it is the logical, sensible thing to do because he has done and given everything for us. A second lesson from the example of Joseph is this. Sometimes God shatters our dreams so that he can give us a new one. God will shatter your dream so that he can replace it with a new dream. I quite enjoy talking to people who have committed their life to ministry, especially those who go on the mission field. One of the questions I enjoy asking them is, how did you ever end up where you ended up uh, in your vocation, in your ministry? What led you there? Did you wake up one day and go, wow, I really want to go to Africa or wherever it might be? And amongst those people. 
I love hearing the stories. And then I was thinking, Roy, you could probably share with us and, and the countless missionaries that you've come in contact with, their stories. It never was my dream. I wanted to be an accountant. And here I was translating Bibles. But God shattered my dream and he replaced it with a dream. And you ask most of them, let's be fair. You ask most of them, do you regret God giving you a new dream? Never. I couldn't imagine, have imagined my life and my experience if I had not followed the dream that God gave me when he shattered my original one. And when I think of that, when I think of Joseph's example, I think of myself and I think for you, are there plans and dreams that you're holding on to with clenched fists that God wants to shatter and to replace it with something new? A different path, a different avenue, a different ministry, a, a, a different career path that he has for you if you would only be obedient and submit to him. A third lesson that I see in Joseph's life, and this is a tough one and it's problematic. God wants us to obey him no matter what. God wants us to obey him no matter what. We haven't figured it all out. We don't fully understand what God's calling us to do. The details aren't lining all up. It's definitely not something that I'd planned on wanting to do. But you know, God is calling you. God wants you to obey him no matter what. As I said, it's problematic. And here's the problem. And the fourth lesson that I see in Joseph's example, obedience is inseparably linked with trust. You will not submit yourself fully to God. You will not obey him no matter what if you don't trust him. One of the consistent, pat consistent patterns in Joseph's life was obedience even when it shattered his dream, even when it wasn't according to his original plan, even when he didn't understand all the details, even when he would never understand how people would respond. Joseph was obedient. Why? Because long before in his own life, he had learned to trust God. And if you don't trust God, as I just said, you will not be able to follow these lessons from Joseph's life. Because if you don't trust him, you won't obey him. And so the question is, how do you cultivate that kind of trust? Like you just snap your fingers and God, I'm going to trust you 100%. Wish it was that easy. But it's something that we have to cultivate. And this could be a whole sermon in and of itself, a sermon series in and of itself. But if, let me just give you a couple of ways that you can cultivate trust in God. The first thing is this. Check out his resume. Do a background check. If you worked for a company and you hired people and you were hiring someone for an important position or you're going to be committing employees or uh, company property, company confidential information to a person, you're going to do a background check. You're going to want to look at the resume. God's no different. And he's not afraid for you to check out. In fact, he wants you to check out his resume because this is his resume. 
Can I say that if you are not in God's word and studying it for yourself, you're never going to be able to 100% trust him. You're not going to be able to 100% obey him because you don't really know him well enough. You got to check out his background. Look at his resume. Read scripture. See how he interacted with people. See the good things that he did. See whether he's reliable. Go to other people who trust God and who know God and obey God. Ask them, why do you trust God? Why do you obey God? What is it about God? How has he been good to you? How has he been reliable to you? Do a background check. Get into God's word. That's how you can cultivate trust in God. And then secondly, I can hear the, the, the words of my dad. Write it down. Keep a journal. You got a prayer request? Write it down. God answers your prayer. A simple prayer, write it down. A hard prayer, write it down. Somebody else's prayer, write it down. God's been good to you. Goodness, good things have come into your life. You've seen God do wonderful things for somebody else. Write it down as you're going through God's word and you see where God has kept his promise, where he's been faithful, where he has been reliable. Write it down. Write it down and review it. That will cultivate trust. A third thing is pray honestly to God. God, I'm not sure I can trust you fully, but you know what? I'm going to commit to checking your background and I'm going to write everything down that I see. And can you use that to help me trust you more? Can you open my eyes of doubt and fear and apprehension so that I can see you fully, so I can know you, that you're a good and faithful and reliable God, so I can build my trust in you so that I can obey you fully? And then the final, for this point, pray honestly and then intentionally choose God. Choose God. Choose obedience and see what happens. I can guarantee you, you'll be happy with the results. So those are some of the lessons I think we can learn as far as obedience and, and trust when it comes to Joseph's life. And the final point, it kind of ties into that that I want to make. And, and, and as I thought of this point, I couldn't help but think of my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather, Ben, died when I was about six. I don't know how tall he was, but he was probably 6'3", 6'4", 270, 280 pounds of just muscle. He was a farmer. Uh, being his name was Ben, he had a ring that has a B on it, and I got it when he died. Still does not fit. Maybe I could wear it as an anklet. It's that huge. That's how big my grandfather was. In the six years that I would have known him, in the two or three years I would have been able to understand him talking to me, I can't really remember him saying a whole lot. He was a silent giant. But anyone that knows him, and I would listen to my dad talk about my mom's dad, Ben. He was a godly man, a loyal man, a protective man. You didn't mess with Ben, but he didn't say much. He chose to let his life and how he lived his life be the words that he chose not to say a whole lot of. And that reminds me of Joseph. Because the only things we really hear Joseph say are in nativity plays where the scriptwriter has taken license to give Joseph words because in scripture, Joseph says nothing. 
It's not recorded any words he says. He's silent. But he's a model man of faith. And the way he lived his life obediently and trusting speaks volumes. How do we know that? Well, we've already discussed a bunch of it. But the last thing I would point to is the fact that when Jesus got older, the word he chose to use more often than any other word to describe God was Father. Now, Jesus was fully God and fully human. And as a fully human, I like to think that Jesus learned a bit about what being a father was and was like because he watched his own stepdad, Joseph. And I tell you, as a father, that is a wallop in the back of the head with a two-by-four. Because that tells me that every day that I live my life, my kids are watching me, and they're watching me, and they're learning a little bit about God, or they're learning nothing about God at all. And I think there's a lesson in it for all of us. It's not just for dads. That when we live in obedience to God, we reflect for those who are watching our life a little bit of Jesus. Because we're being obedient and because we're trusting. And that's the lesson that I wanted to share with you this morning from the the story of Joseph. Don't neglect him. I know he often is the youngest person in the nativity play who just has to make sure he can make it to the manger. But he has so much more to say than what you may be thinking. Here's I'm going to invite the praise team back up and let's uh, continue on into communion.